Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Cove Pound. We're out here in uh, wine country, South Temecula, again, because it's such a beautiful setting. And uh, we have our live crowd. Live crowd, say hi. They're not too excited. So uh, they're like, uh uh-huh, Hello. But we're having a good time out here. Kids are going to be running around. You might see live animals going, cows and just all kinds of lambs and things like that running around here. We're out in the boonies, so we'll see what happens here. We'll see how it goes. But we're glad that you're with us. Uh, We have worship today. We're continuing our series on Born uh, to Lose but Live to Win. And we're going to be continuing our series. Uh, Before I get going, I need to do my... I haven't done a rant in a while, so I'm going to do my rant. And I know right now some of you are like, oh, no, we're going to get political. I'm going to talk about something greater than politics today, something that's driving me nuts that I think is really showing the downfall of our society and how debased, is it debased or abased? What's a, is, is that the right word? Any grammar nerds? Depends. I'm going to say abased and debased. I'm going to say both the words. That's how just uh, mad I am. But um, I think this shows just how our society is going down. And so, so bear with me here. Um, so I'm driving, and I, I don't see just one person. I see like four people, not one four people as I'm just driving to church, and they're on a bike. But the problem is this bike has a motor. Does anybody see the problem with that? You're going on a bike ride to get in shape, and you have a motor on your bike. I don't understand why you don't just get in a car and just drive 10 miles and go back home. Why are you on a bike? It's, it's this fake sense of I'm getting in shape. And, and so if you have an electric bike, a motor bike, we just ask that you don't come to our church and that you shut this video off. Um, and you're deceiving yourself. And it shows that our society is out of control. See, I told you, it's greater than politics. It's electric bikes with motors. I don't understand it. They're thinking they're getting in shape. They're not. They have a motor. I have a motor. Just get in a car, drive 10 miles, get a donut, go home. It's a good day. So that's my rant of the day. How'd you guys like that rant of the day? Agree? Yes. Uh, some people must have electric bikes here. <laughs> my wife disagrees with me. Not the first time. Hey, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm super proud of you as a church, why I love being a part of this community. Uh, I talked about last week, the Martin family. We want to love on them right now. Eric's been battling melanoma for several years now, and we shared the difficult news that, um, that he's on hospice right now. And I visited him, and uh, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about our interaction, but uh, as I told you, I respect Eric and Shamika so much. The way um, he has battled with courage and the way she has loved sacrificially, the way she has loved our family and her husband and getting little in return as far as just as far as just the support because when you're sick you're out and her working a job and taking care of him and the family and bills and all that both of them just the greatest respect we've been praying for them i said last friday is the uh what was it martin family friday we're gonna pray all day and you guys prayed uh we're gonna send cards we're gonna email them we're gonna hit facebook posts you guys encouraged and gave the love and i'm so proud and then all giving that was given on friday through the tithely our new platform Uh, online. All money given on Friday, we're going to give to them. And we raised uh, $1,500 in one day, and the church is going to throw in another $500. So $2,000 we're going to be giving to the Martin family. So, yep. So um, just thank you. And uh, I got a text this morning from Shamika just saying, please tell the church. Like, I can't tell everybody. Like, we felt so loved. Thank you so much. Uh, When I visited Eric, I told him what we were doing. And uh, he mustered up a smile, which is a big deal. And so he's, he's very tired right now, 
And, um, and so just appreciate more and more of your prayers. I know some of you are like, man, I wish I could visit and see them. Right now, it's mainly time for family and then just a few uh, of us um, that have been given permission to, to kind of see him. I think that's best. And so, again, just um, continue to encourage, continue to pray. Uh, that's pretty much um, the best thing that we uh, can do. So just, just thank you. It meant a lot. And uh, as the Bible says and as Jesus says, uh, the greatest thing we can do is love. And to show our love for God is by loving others. If we can't love others, then why would we say we, we love God? And so I think God felt loved. I know the Martin family felt loved, and um, I'm just super proud. So with that, we are going to, uh, should we do some worship? Worship team, what do you guys think? Hanley's, when I say worship team, it's the Hanley family. So uh, let's give a hand to the Hanley family. The crowd is starting to liven up. You can clap at home too, even though it's dorky, you can still clap, you know, and do your thing. So uh, yeah, we got some great songs this morning. So let me pray, and then we're gonna jump into this. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We are so privileged with everything going on. We are privileged to breathe this air, to have this setting. The greatest privilege is that we know there is a God, that Jesus, when you came here, all of the religions wonder. All of the philosophies are, are, are just men trying and women trying to make things up and hope that they're right. Jesus, you said, I am God. I'm gonna speak as God, for God, about God, for you, to you that we can know with confidence what this life is about. And so Jesus, now we come to you boldly. We open the, your word, the word of God. We open our hearts to it and we sing to you because you are worthy of our praise. Whether you give or whether you take away, we know the cross tells us, it anchors us down that you are good and that you love us. And if we're loved by you, we have life. In your name, amen. If you have a... Um, uh, your phone, you have a, a Bible app on it, uh, or you have a, this thing called a paper Bible that you actually turn the pages. Uh, we're going to be in two passages, mainly today. I'll be in a few others, but real quickly. Uh, Matthew 14, Luke 8. So they're in the New Testament. Those are the biographies of Jesus' life. There's four of them. And Matthew and Luke are two of those biographies. So if you ever want to like, like if I'm giving my life to Jesus, like who is he? You probably want to like read those and see who he is uh, and get a good understanding. So um, Matthew 14, we'll be in, uh, start in verse 22 in Luke chapter eight. So if you wanna just kind of mark those. Uh, this is our third week in the series of Born to Lose and Live to Win. And so I encourage you, if you've skipped the first two weeks, go back. They don't necessarily build on each other, but it gives you a context. Uh, especially last week talked about the importance of grieving, how God grieves and create us to grieve, and what grieving even looks like. Uh, as far as we're gonna, the whole premise of the series is we're gonna lose. As soon as we're born, we're, there's so much we're gonna lose in life, and we don't stop losing until we get to heaven. But in the midst of it, what God does is, just like what this song said, this song is so powerful as far as God turns our losses, and he turns them into win for his glory and for our good in ways that we can't even imagine. And so uh, today we're talking about something that uh, we've all experienced. The worst kind of loss, I think, is losing control. I don't know if you agree. I think the worst kind of loss is losing control. Any mamas out there shopping and you lost control of your kids? Oh, I'm, can I get a witness? There we go. We're having a revival here, right? You're shopping, and of course the kids, when they're little, they wait until you're in the store and you lose control. Literally, you can't get them to be quiet. You can't get them to listen. 
and everyone else is judging you, they're looking at you, and you're like, worst parent of the year award right here. That sense, though, do you remember that sense of where you're just like in your gut, like I've lost control? And what happens when we lose control? Does anybody know? Panic. Panic. Spankings. Spankings. <laughs> That's where you get usually two reactions. Um, anger, uh, where you either lash out or you check out. You lash out or you check out. Those are the two things. And that happens in life when we feel like we're losing control of our finances, we're losing control of our marriage, we're losing control of our sense of purpose in life. You see this happen all the time. We're seeing it. We see it every day. If you go on social media or if you go on any website that has, talks about the news, you're seeing it. This sense of it's out of control and so I'm going to lash out or I'm going to check out or veg out. And that's where you get addictions, right? We medicate. And that could just be, we always think of drugs. It could be watching too much TV, getting hooked on sports because that takes me away from reality, which is all sports is, is entertainment. That's no value. I don't think anyone's gotten a check from a team for like following a team. That team's never sent them a check for all the, more, uh, the money and time and passion. But it helps us to check out, right? So what could be good for us in these small increments when I use it because life is out of control Right? I freak out or I check out. Someone's already bored in the sermon. Wow. So I'm just going to pray. We're going to wrap this up. Worship team, go ahead and come back. <laughs> and the longer you live, the more you realize the less I control. Or am I really in control at all? You get married and your spouse, after 20 years, says, I don't want to be married. And you try to control them and the situation and keep things together. And you realize I can't control them. A boss gives you either too many hours or not enough hours, and you realize maybe I'm not in control of my career. And all of a sudden I have to work more and I'm not around family as much, or I work less and now I don't have as much money. A lot of things are out of our control. Um, <laughs> I found this out as far as Christine and I, we were driving this week, and there's always, whenever I do a sermon, I always know God's gonna hit me over the head with that, the point of it. And, um, we're driving, and have you ever been driving, and you get lost, and you just want to be there? doesn't matter where. You just want to be there. I either want to be home, or I want to be wherever I want to be, and we got lost. We're in the, the, the back roads up in the hills in Temecula, and now we're on a dirt road. It's dark, and I know we shouldn't be on a dirt road. And rather than praying, rather than let's inquire of the Lord, rather than encouraging my wife, I start getting mad at the app. I don't know if you've ever been mad at it. I'm like... And I, I use choice language that I won't use today. Nothing super bad, just a little bit bad, right? But I was, I was so mad at the app as far as just stop, and it kept rerouting. Re, I, have your, the word, it goes rerouting. Re, and it tells you nicely, like, rerouting. And you just want to throw the phone down, like, stop being nice to me. And it's rerouting, rerouting. And I'm just so, I just want to be there. Have you ever been there in life? And you just feel like, oh, I just, and I'm not in control. I'm lost. And we can feel that way regularly in life. Not only do we like control, but we think we're in control of other people, of situations, or even of our future. Remember when the whole COVID-19 thing went down, do you remember the, the questions the reporters were asking the president? Do you know the future? Do you know how bad this is gonna be, right? We're looking to scientists. Do you know the model? Do you know how many, why? Because can you control it? Can you dictate how many people are gonna be sick? Can you, we like that, and the reality is what we've seen is, even the experts, they're not in control. Even the computer models, <laughs> they don't know. This is why we look to God. We're going to start in Luke chapter 8. 
where the Bible teaches us this lesson, and there's, there's something to learn from it that I hope that we get today. The disciples experienced this a lot with Jesus. By the way, when you read the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't know if you noticed this, but God loves object lessons. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but God, like, you can read the Bible and learn, but God's like, no, 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 I'm going to do an object lesson with you. That's how we really learn. Same thing in school. Object lessons in school, best way for kids to learn, right? Not just reading and, and hearing about it and theory and things like that. And so this lesson of we're not in control, that we want control, but we always lose it, God's going to drill down in the life of the disciples and in our lives too. Luke chapter 8, we'll start in verse 22. I'm going to have to bust these out. It's a little, I'm trying not to, but it's a little too blurry. Save your comments to yourself, and if they're bad, I'll come after you. Here we go, Luke chapter 8. One day Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Now here's what's interesting is he fell asleep, but a squall came down on the lake. Now a squall is not just this little bit of a breeze like we're getting out here right now. It's not just this... Uh, where they are at, the squalls can get huge and the waves can get overhead. And so it's big and it happens a lot. It still happens today in that area. And it says that uh, so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. <laughs> this is awesome. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke him. If water's coming in the boat, everybody knows it. Okay? I don't know if you've ever been in a boat, but I've been in a boat where just it's four or five feet, it's not coming in and I'm getting sick and I'm getting worried and that boat's moving around. If it's coming in, these are huge waves and Jesus is asleep. Do we have huge waves in our society right now? Do we have huge waves in our soul right now? And we think because we're freaking out, Jesus must be freaking out. I think he's sleeping, he's relaxing. He's like, why are you worried? Master, master, we're going to drown. He got up, <laughs> rebuked the wind. I would have loved to hear that, like what he actually said, but he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And this is what Jesus said. He didn't say, hey, thanks for telling me. Like we almost drowned. Like that was a close one. He'd be like, hey, good call, you guys. Way to go. Look at what he says. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? If I'm freaking out, I can't have faith at the same time. Freaking out and faith, they don't go together. I think this is a good word. As we look at our society and we're trying to control our society and politics or policies or people, I think God says we need to look at ourselves right now. The church needs to look at itself more than society. Why are we freaking out? Where is our faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? <laughs> the disciples hadn't figured it out yet. He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. You see, faith realizes that all things are in the hands of God, so you don't have to freak out when things aren't in your hands. All things are in the hands of God. So if I'm in the hand of God, I don't have to freak out. He controls everything. So there's no need to freak out. 
where is our faith? Is our faith in education? Is our faith in all the kids need to be back in school? Is our faith in uh, this political party needs to be in power or we're going to freak out? Is our faith in uh, our health? Is our faith in our finances or faith in God? My faith is in God. He loves me. He's engaged. He's good. So even when the situation is bad, it doesn't change that God is good. This is a great time to evaluate our faith. And this moment, I guarantee the disciples went away being like, whoa. They learned something about him. Now we go over to Matthew 14. And again, object lesson number two. This is a different scenario. So one scenario, a storm comes up and he rebukes uh, the, the, the wind and the waves. This next story, and it's interesting, he doesn't rebuke the wind and the waves. He walks on the water. So he walks through the wind and the waves. Sometimes you see God do something in your life where he'll bring calm, and you think he's always going to bring calm. No, sometimes he's going to actually have you walk through the storms. He's not going to calm the storm. So don't try to put God in a box of, well, he calmed it last week, so he's going to calm it this week. No, last week he calmed the storm for you. This week you're going to walk through the storm. Because my faith is in God, not in circumstances. So I don't have to freak out. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. They already know, like, uh-oh, something weird's going to happen. I mean, it happened a few months or maybe a year earlier. Here we go. We're getting into a boat. And, uh, but this time, it's interesting. <laughs> Jesus isn't going to get in with them, so they're, they're probably a little nervous. So he said, get into the boat. Go to the other side. He sent the crowds away. Uh, this is after he fed uh, thousands of people. So he just did a miracle, and now he's going to send the disciples across the lake. And it says that after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And uh, when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Here we go again, the disciples, but we don't have Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt that way where, wait, Jesus was with me before and he calmed, but now I'm going through a storm and I feel like Jesus isn't with me anymore. Now I'm on my own. Now there's a storm. And I'm sure they were trying what Jesus did. Like they're rebuking the waves. Stop it! Stop, we can go, like whatever he did, the formula, have you ever met those Christians that have a formula? You must pray this way. You must pray this, like your voice. When you talk to, like you normally talk like this, but then when you pray, you talk like this, right? Or you got to pat, they have a formula. They probably tried the formula, nothing was working. Now they're like, uh-oh, where's Jesus? He's always there, right? So it says that they're being battered by the waves and the fourth watch of the night, which is really early in the morning, I think it's like 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified that it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. If Jesus is there, I don't have to be afraid. Again, faith over freaking out. I love Peter. Peter always takes things to the next level, right? So verse 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Peter was probably, I don't know if you've ever requested something of God, but you hope God doesn't respond. <laughs> So he threw it out, and Jesus was like, all right, let's do this. And he said, well, come. Peter's like, ah. He got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, wait, what was he seeing? The wind. Was he seeing the storm? He took his eyes off Jesus. So we can walk with Jesus day one, day 30. How much, what have we been in lockdown now? Day 100-something? too long, right? And we're, sometimes we're good at dates for seven days keeping our eyes on Jesus, but not on day eight. And we sink. 
All it takes is a look away from Jesus and we sink. All it takes is two days of no Bible reading, five hours of no prayer, one week of no Christian interaction. We skip a sermon here. We skip a Sunday there. We go on vacation. It's good for the family. But the storm's coming, and your eyes aren't on him. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, which whenever we take our eyes off Jesus, we always go to freak out. Whenever I see someone freaking out, the first thing it tells me is there's no way their eyes are on Jesus. So that's the first thing I want to do. Rather than tell them, like, it's okay, the storm will pass. Maybe the storm won't pass. It's okay, your son will be okay. Maybe he won't be okay. It's okay, this party's going to win. Maybe that party won't win. It's okay, the finances will come back. The stock market will come back. Maybe it doesn't for a while. So now we're giving a false hope, but we have a true hope in Jesus. Why wouldn't we just point people to Jesus? Take your eyes off the world. Heck, take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off your kids. Take your eyes off entertainment. Take your eyes off the alcohol. Take your eyes off the drugs. Take your eyes off the stock market and leave them on Jesus. Well, when he sinks, he cries out and says, Lord, save me. And I hope you know this about God. Jesus didn't rebuke him as far as, no, you're going to suffer because you took your eyes off me. Immediately, it says, immediately, when we cry out to Jesus, he immediately stretches out his hand and he took hold of him. But look what he says. You have little faith. We went from where is your faith to little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind did stop, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, certainly you are the Son of God. The disciples finally, after a few years, begin to get who Jesus is. And sometimes it takes us a few years to figure out who God is. Sometimes it takes some of us 10 years, 20 years, some of us longer than others, but eventually you're going to figure out who Jesus is. Living with loss of control. I just want to highlight a few things for us to think about before the worship team comes up, and we'll just kind of contemplate that and think about that. And I, I, I really hope that we're able to sit in that this week. I think God has something for each one of us when it comes to realizing we don't have control and we're not asked to be in control because we worship the one who is in control. First thing is this. The more control I give to God, the more control I have. Paradox. The more control I give to God, the more control I have. It's the first point. Notice Peter had control of his body and of walking on water, not when he said, you can do it, Peter, and looked within, but when he looked to Jesus. You see, Jesus has a plan for being in control, but you must look to him. If you want to be in control of your finances, if you want to be in control of your emotions, if you want to be in control of relationships, if you want to be in control of yourself, I'm not saying you can control life, but if you want to be in control, you got to look to Jesus, not to yourself. We see this in Galatians chapter 5. This is a popular passage, but I want to kind of dissect a little bit. Check this out. Galatians chapter 5. And you can look it up later this week if you're fumbling around. But Galatians 5, 16 through 22. This is Paul writing to the church. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Walk next to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants you to walk with Him in life. Not in front of Him. It doesn't say walk in front of the Spirit. I'm going to tell God what to do. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to walk in front of him. No, no, no. 
Walk by him, walk with him. He's in you, he's with you. And it says, this is why it's important that we walk with the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So you have a battle going on, a battle for control. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's called being out of control. When I do whatever I want, I feel it, I do it. I don't like you, I'm going to lash out. If I, feel, if I feel depressed, I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever I feel and act however I want to act. doesn't matter. We see that all the time. I mean, just drive around Southern California. You're going to see people change lanes when they want to change lanes. Do what they want to do. Go through red lights as many as they, because why? It's about, they don't have any sense of control over their desires. Well, he goes on to uh, say even more so. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and all of these have to do with being out of control. Sexual immorality, right? I can't stay faithful. I've just got to do whatever my desire is sexually. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, right? I don't have control of my emotions, and so I lash out. Selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I think he named them all. There you go. He said, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to stop right here for a second because when I first read this, when I first became a Christian, I was about, I think, 17, 18 years of age. I thought, I'm never, I can't be a Christian. Let's read that again. It said that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, then I'm done. Because even as a Christian, there's some things that I'm like, I still struggle with. And I'm fighting, and I'm trying, and I fail. Is anybody? I'm, you might not be that honest out here. But you know where? So here's the question is, then nobody makes in the kingdom of God. Well, a couple things here. First of all, that word live, that Greek word actually means to practice. If you read the NASB, I think, or the ESV, it says those who practice these things. It's basically that this is my mode in life. And by practice means I want to get good at it. So those who desire to get good at sin, so they justify, even if they go to church, they justify their secret addiction, they justify their secret things going on in their heart, in their mind, they justify, and I saw that growing up. I saw it to where my dad would, 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 would worship God, come home, and then beat the crap out of people. Well, what happened there? And he, there's no sense of repentance. There was, it, you see, a struggle is I fail, but I still don't call it good. I bring it back to God and say, give me the strength. Practicing is I'm going to keep it a secret, and what God calls wrong, I'm going to call it right, and I'm going to get better at it. And he did get better at it. And what happens is? He stopped following Jesus, got a divorce, stopped going to church. You see, sin ends in death, death of a family, death of my heart, and death of someone's soul. So what the, just so you know, I don't want you to freak out there. It's saying those who practice things. Struggling is I keep calling it wrong, I keep confessing it, and I keep repenting. Practicing is I'll go to church and sing, but I'm not going to give up that sin. I'm going to keep the alcohol. I'm going to keep the pornography. I'm going to keep my anger and keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody about it. You've been in those families? Don't tell anybody about it. How dare you? You're not walking with the Spirit. Even if you go to church, you give money, you worship, you cry, you get the chills. If you practice sin that the Holy Spirit says to stop, or you're practicing sinning where the Holy Spirit says to do something and you refuse to, um, you've got business with God right now. Because the Holy Spirit always leads us towards repentance. Thank you. I'm glad you're not yawning. I got an Amen. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, the fruit of walking with the Spirit. The fruit, and what does the Spirit do? The Spirit leads us to Jesus. So the fruit of walking with the Spirit as far as fulfilling, it's, it's walking with the Spirit is the desire to consistently connect to God and serve God. 
I connect with him and I serve him. I walk with him. It says, but the fruit of that is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one is self-control. When you walk with God, closely with God, for God, life is for him, you will become more self-controlled. Thus the point. The more control I give to God, the more control I have. I give my kids to God. Rather than trying to control them, I disciple them, I parent them, but I don't try to control them. I don't want to make the same mistakes. That's how they might come to know God's grace. I want this career for them. Might not be your call. I think this is what's best. I think God knows what's best. But I delivered my child. Yeah, but God created your child. And he's the one that died for him and rose again. So good job on birthing, but you didn't go to a cross. You didn't die, rise again. But good job on the birthing, yeah. I just, all the women just checked out of the service. My encouragement is this, don't take what is already God's. Don't take what is already God's. He's in control of our finances. He's in control of our sexuality. He's in control of our emotions. He's in control of our mind. He's in control of this world. We got entertainment going on behind me. It's wild out here. Why? Because we're not in control. We got kids running around, right? That's an, that's an object. It's free-range parenting. Yes, organic parenting. I'm going to have you teach a class on free-range free parenting. Just let God control them. Let them do whatever they want. Run around the acreage. All right. Get back. Point number two is this. Is take comfort in who God is more than what I see. Take comfort more in who God is than what I see. The disciples were freaking out even though they were with the person who created the world. Have you ever... I don't know if you thought about that. The disciples were freaking out with the very person who created the whole world and spoke it into existence. That's why Jesus wasn't worried about it. The wind created it. Rain created the whole world. So let's bring that home. If God created us, this universe, if he spoke into existence, Romans 13 says that he places every person in authority, whether good or evil, He's in control. Why are we freaking out? It's a simple question. Why would we not have faith in the one who holds everything in his hands? 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. And Paul's trying to calm a church that is freaking out. He says, listen, for we know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, for we know that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. You see that with our bodies. We freak out trying to keep our bodies healthy, but the whole goal is that our bodies disintegrate and we get healthy bodies in heaven. The goal is to live forever. We're freaking out trying to live forever here on earth. I want to live to this. I mean, I, just, I was just watching, listening to a podcast where guys like, I want to live to 110, 120. My mind, I'm like, why don't you try to live forever? That'd be better than living 110 years here. But we freak out and we miss the thing. And, and Paul's saying like, why are you freaking out? Have faith. We're going to live forever. If you know you're going to live forever, why are you freaking out over our bodies here? He says, meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead of our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, we will not be found 
naked. And what he's saying is these new bodies we get from God, that they're not going to be like these bodies. They're going to be glorious. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, right? We have disease. We have hunger. We have issues with our eyes. We have issues with all kinds of things in life. And it says we groan. And that groaning, just so we know, that groaning is to draw us to heaven. You see, God is trying to rip out our desire for this world. The best way to rip out the desire is that we have a distaste for it. My biggest prayer for our church is that we have a distaste for sin. Because once you have a distaste, then you have a taste for God. And some of us, we can't taste God because we have such a taste for this world. He says these words here. Therefore, we're always confident, always confident. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world, right? That's what the point was. We take comfort in God, not in the bank account, not in the right political party, not in uh, the kind of country that I think we should have, not in what's going on in the world. Not, I don't take comfort in any of those things. I don't, my greatest comfort is in God. And he says that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. Some of us freak out because we live by, fight, uh, by sight, not by faith. We got it backwards. How do I have comfort when I have cancer? How do I have comfort when I have children that will not follow Jesus and I've raised them in the Lord? How do I have comfort when the job that I love I can't get? How do I have comfort when it seems like everyone else is prosperous and I'm stuck in a hole? There's only one way. I live by faith that God is good, that God is engaged, and that God is in control, not by sight. So when church trailers are stolen, church trucks are stolen, which just happened to us this week, someone smashed the gate. I was really surprised. So as I'm preparing this, I told you, God whacks me over the head every time. I don't like preaching anymore because I know I'm like, oh, well, I should just preach on good things. I should preach on prosperity next week. Next week will be about prosperity. Thank you, Jesus. I got the call. And I think I was talking to one of the elders. I, don't, I forget I don't know if it was you, Ephraim, or someone else. But they asked me something like, are you freaking out? I'm like, no, maybe God just wants us to use a new truck and new, new things. And, or maybe, they needed it more. yeah, maybe they needed it more. Maybe it's another church that needed it more. Praise God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Churches wouldn't do that. Maybe. The last thing on this point, if you don't know who he is, then you will always lack peace. This is why it's important that we get into the word. We know who God is. If you're wondering who God is, you'll probably be a person who freaks out because you don't know who he is. If you don't realize how loving he is, how that when you sink, he wants to, you to cry out to him. Some of us, we sink and we cry out, but we don't cry out to him. And he says, no, I want you to cry out to me because then through your humility of sinking and seeing you need Jesus, you don't just need something, you need Jesus. Through that humility, when he lifts you up, you'll stay with him rather than abandoning him. I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my marriage. I need Jesus as a parent. I need Jesus as a disciple. I need Jesus every day. I need him in my job. I need him when I shop. I need Jesus because at any moment I could freak out, any moment. But I want to live by faith, not by sight.
by God not giving us control, that actually helps us, even though we want God to give us control. Um, I visited Eric Martin this week. And again, in the announcements, if you didn't hear them, but we raised $2,000 as a church, super proud on Friday. Everybody gave. We sent letters. We sent emails, Facebook posts. Um, we were praying all day. And that, that family was very thankful. And I was able to spend some time with him. Um, it's weird when you've seen someone healthy, you know, and then you see them in a state where they're not. It's, it's tough. Eric was laying down. I go in the room, just kneel down, and we kind of talk and um, just having come. So I had this with my mom when she passed away. Um, you have real conversations when someone's losing this life. We, we do everything to hold on this life, and that's why we don't have deep conversations because we think we're just always going to be healthy. Everything's always going to be good. When you get close to losing life or you know you're losing life, it gets real. And so I actually don't mind being in those situations with people because as a pastor, I'm in those situations a lot, but it reminds me how precious life is, how fragile life is, and what this life is about. And um, what's interesting is Eric, we were talking, he goes, man, I think they've been to our, they, about a year, year and a half they've been at Access. And when he first came, Eric was angry as far as, why did God do this to me? My kids are in chaos because most, most of their life, all they've known is dad's been sick, melanoma. Doesn't have a job, loves to work, works on cars. Why would God create me, create me to work? I can't work. Give my kids a dad. They can't have a dad fully engaged. Wife can't have a husband fully engaged. I'm always hurting. I'm always sick. And he came to church angry, and I had no answers. I'm like, and I remember just saying to him, I can walk with you, and we can walk with Jesus. I have no answers. Look to Jesus. Some of us try to give answers to people. Just point them to Jesus. Don't give them your answer. That's the worst thing you do. Just point them to Jesus but I feel stupid. Yes, you should, right? Just point him to Jesus. He's not stupid. He's good. But I talked to him this week, and he goes, Brian, I'm at peace. He goes, I'm kind of, I'm wondering what's on the other side. And he goes, God's been so good. This is a dude laying on a bed, having a hard time breathing, having a hard time being comfortable, so close to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been that close to Jesus, and maybe we haven't because we felt like, I don't need to be that close to Jesus. I'm in control. If I'm in control, then I don't need to be that close to Jesus. It was so inspiring, and I just want you to know we have someone in our church that a lot of life has been lost. And as we feel bad for him, maybe we should actually look up to him because maybe there's a closeness to Jesus that we need to learn to experience that even though we might have our health, maybe that's getting in the way of feeling that dependence, that need, that desperateness for Jesus. I forgot to do, I was going to get a clump of dirt, but I forgot. But I don't know if you've ever been at the beach and you've held sand in your hand. But what's interesting about it is if you hold it gently like this, the sand stays in your hand. What do you do if you begin to squeeze it? The sand just pours out, right? Many of us live life and we want to control it like this. I want to control the people around me. I want to control the situations. And we squeeze and we actually lose. And what God is saying is, listen, if you want to live by faith and not freak out, open hand, let God put what he wants in there, and just realize whatever fall out, falls out, his hand's underneath. He catches it. You don't have to freak out. God is in control. He's good. He controls the wind, the waves, the economy, the education, the people in power. Nobody's above God. And let's remember that it's not even about this life. 
that what we lose here reminds us of what we gain in heaven. So live for eternity, not for today. And live by faith and not by sight. Worship team is going to come back up and I hope this really practically encourages you this week. Today is not about theory. Today is about really allowing the word of God and the spirit of God to encourage you this week. So Jesus, we, uh, we thank you that you are a God that comforts us. We thank you that you are a God that's involved with us. We thank you, God, that there is no pandemic. There is no government. There is no situation. There's no circumstance that is above you or beyond you. And that you work out all things for the good of those who love you, not just acknowledge you or go to church, but those who love you saying, I'm going to put my faith in you and not in myself. That you work out all things for those who do that. We do that now as we worship you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.